Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Uh, Maybe you've noticed things are a little bit different today. Is it awkward worshiping across from each other? You can be honest. It should be, right? In a way. Like you're being reminded that you're here and you're with people. You know, but that's the beauty of it. We come here, you know, uh, I had a friend always talked about God comforts and challenges. You know, he comforts us in the pieces of ourselves that are growing to be more and more like Christ. And he challenges us on the pieces that kind of hold us back. And it's good to mix it up a little bit. Um, So we're in a series right now um, where we're talking about listening to the voice of God. And how we're framing it is saying in the beginning, well, what are the ways in which God speaks to us? And then the second half of the series is going to be how do we learn to listen? What are the actual processes and techniques that we can learn in order to step into that position? How do we position ourselves to hear the voice of God? And so last week, uh, we began by speaking about how God uh, speaks to us through the scriptures. And I taught you uh, an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. Did anybody practice this week? Yes? Did anybody have uh, like a really neat experience maybe they want to share of like the Lord speaking to them through scripture this week? Anybody? That's fine. I'll just preach it again and we'll get it. Uh, in, our, in our community group on Wednesday, uh, we did that. We used Psalm 139, which is like if you're feeling awful about yourself and that you're a terrible human being and you're worthless, like meditate on Psalm 139 and then come face to face with God and continue to tell him that about you. Uh, and see if you can last very long, uh, because it's amazing. It's a beautiful uh, psalm for that. So I just want to encourage you guys, continue those practices of stepping into situations where you're allowing the Lord to speak. Um, This week, we're going to be talking about how God speaks to us through tradition. And initially, when I put together this whole series, I was really excited about this one. I'm like, yeah, this is my jam. And then when I added in the, the God Speaks bit to it, it got a lot more challenging, and I had to really sit back and kind of consider my own angle and my own story for that, but I'm really excited for what the Lord has for us here, and then especially how we're going to step into practicing this way of hearing God speak. So I'm going to pray. Um, I'll pray for you, and you pray for me, and we'll get into this. So Heavenly Father, um, we testify the truth that you're here, uh, and that you're with us, and that you are for us. Uh, God, even, man, this week, Just that idea of you being for us, sometimes that's so hard to accept. Like we know you're you're here and we know that you're with us, but maybe that's kind of threatening or maybe that doesn't feel like comfort. So Lord, I especially ask that your spirit would speak to us today in a way that we understand, not just your withness, but your forness. Um, And Lord, you're already moving in this place. I just, that, that, that moment of praying over the women in our community is so sweet. I just pray that you continue to, the more that you speak and the more that you reveal, the more you would seal those things with your Holy Spirit, that they would just sink deep down into the fabric of who we are. Because we want to leave this place transformed by you. We want to leave knowing, yes, you have spoken. Yes, you have moved. You've changed us. You've comforted us. You've challenged us. And we're not the same people that we were when we walked in here. That's why we're here, Lord. Uh, so we pray that you would honor us in our honest desire to grow closer to you. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
So how do we, how do we uh, kind of frame this conversation about tradition and God speaking? Well, I believe that our God is the God of history. He can speak from the past into the present and shape his future with us. If we really believe God is who he says is, you know, we are very, uh, you know, chronologically bound creatures. We can only exist in this present moment. And we have, you know, memories of the past and we have anticipations of the future. But if we believe the way that God is, is crafted, you know, in, in who he is, he exists at all points in time simultaneously. And so God has this ability to use everything to speak to us in this present moment. Isn't that crazy? Just think about that for a second. You know, I almost teetered us into quantum mechanics last week and I said, no, no, no. Tim Marys and I will be like in the jam and everybody else will be left behind. But, you know, just this, this idea of just even the way that God is should blow our minds sometimes. But God has this ability to speak from the past into the present moment. And the things that he speaks are new all over again. And God has this opportunity to speak in from the future. You know, when it says in Revelation that God speaks and says, behold, I'm making all things new. From this future vision of the new heavens and the new earth, he speaks that into the present moment. And that's what we call hope. That's the thing that draws us closer and closer to a certain future. And so I think that beautifully frames our understanding of how God speaks to us through the great tradition of the church. Um, so I grew up in the church. My, my dad is an Anglican priest, so that we were in Church of Ireland first. We were Episcopal. We were Anglican. And now I don't even know what it's called. He is in France. It's not the Church of France, but it's like the Anglican Church in France or something like that. So I grew up in this tradition. How many of you, liturgical church, you're uh, Catholic, Episcopalian, Methodist, Lutheran, Okay, so some of you grew up in more of those kind of um, ancient practice. Any Greek Orthodox, maybe? No? I always love when I meet Greek Orthodox people. They're so cool. Um, so I grew up in this tradition. And, and like many of you that grew up in church, you know, you go and it maybe feels a little bit wooden and you're going through the motions and you're saying the prayers and you're singing the songs and everyone's just, you know, this is what you do. And being a pastor's kid meant you had to do it in the front row. And being the pastor's kid meant that you had the solo in the song when you were 12, you know? And about that time, uh, worship music was really big into Jewish things. Does anybody remember that phase? You shall go out with joys and be led forth, you know? And you had to go and you had to sing the solo and you had to be in the play or whatever. And so I grew up with this, this thing that, you know, I wouldn't say was hammered into me, but it was, this is what you do. And you learn the prayers and you go through the motions. And, and it, it didn't always feel like something that I was connecting with as a small child. Of course, I didn't fully understand what was going on there. Um, and then when I went to college, I realized you don't have to get up on a Sunday morning if you don't want to. And that was a big revelation. And so that happened. Uh, and for about a year and a half in college, I had this kind of newfound freedom of like, oh my gosh, I can just live my own life and I don't have to get up for church on Sundays if I don't want to. I can do whatever I want. I discovered brunch in those years, you know, it was a great time. <laughs> and, but before long, I, I started to feel dried up. I started to feel really kind of disconnected from myself. And so I recognized you know, partly this internal Holy Spirit revelation and partly the nagging of my mom, let's be honest, uh, that I needed to, to find a faith community. I needed to find those imperative, regular rhythms of worship that I believe we were actually created for. And so I went to a couple different kinds of churches in the, in, in the town that I was going to college in. And before long, I actually found myself in this very small Anglican church uh, in St. Augustine. It's called St. Cyprian's. Um, and it was about, you know, 
this many people, about 80, 90 people. Uh, amazing age gap. There were people there in their 90s and they'd been in this church their whole life and uh, a lot of little babies. Almost nobody in my kind of narrow thing. So I was this novelty and everybody really like honed in and, and just loved me well. You know when you're in college you just, you crave like the, 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 the acknowledgement of older people, you know. And like, so I was really beginning to find that. Um, but the most powerful thing in those years was coming back to a tradition that had always been mine. That when we stepped into worship and we were engaging with these prayers, when we were coming to the Lord's table every week, like it, it was like I knew this stuff. But now I was choosing it for myself. Now I was the one consciously saying, yes, I want this and I want to go where this tradition is leading me. And that actually began the process of the Lord calling me back to him. And then when I moved up to Nashville, uh, I actually stepped into a charismatic vineyard church, but it was a church that was really open to trying new ways of connecting with God. And, and so I was able to offer them some of my perspective growing up in a liturgical church. And it was this beautiful marriage in my own story of like being moved by the spirit and being moved by the great tradition. And it's, it's meant so much to me uh, to allow all of these things to come together. If God is speaking to us, why would we not want it? Why would we narrow and say, no, 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 God can only speak to me like this because that's the way I grew up. And I think so many of us, we feel that sense of being dried up because we've narrowed the ways in which God is supposed to speak to us. And so my hope is today that we all begin to engage with this idea of the great tradition of the church and perhaps open ourselves up a little bit more to the possibilities of how God speaks to us. And we find this in one of Paul's letters uh, to a church in Thessalonica, in Second Th Thessalonians chapter two. Um, he's kind of beginning to wrap up his letter to them and he's giving them these encouragements on how to stay strong. What do you do when life feels chaotic and everything's in constant flux and you remembered when that preacher came through and you had this really great conference and now you're just kind of showing up on Sundays and what do you do? That's what this letter's kind of about. And this is what Paul says. And I'm reading this in the ESV because I think the translation of the phrase that I want especially uh, really comes, shines through here. So Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to our God for you, brothers, by, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying to them is, church, you've already been chosen. You're already in. God has already done something within you. And we're thanking him for that. He's already gone in advance and he's gathered together a people. And he's begun this process of rescuing you and redeeming you and sanctifying you. And he continues, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so he's beginning this process of encouraging us. Okay, okay, now you've received from us. God is already doing something. He's laying this foundation. And now the challenge is for you to stand firm when you're feeling bored, when you're feeling like maybe it's not as true as it was when the big preacher came through town, when you're feeling these kinds of things that would cause you, as he says in another letter, to be tossed back and forth by the waves, learn how to stand firm. And how do we do that? We hold to the traditions that were handed to us, either in person or in letter. And he finishes up. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work 
and word. And so when we learn by discipline to stand firm, to hold fast to the traditions God has given us, it creates this fertile soil for Jesus to come, to comfort our hearts and to establish us in good work and good word. And so the church tradition has preserved sacred ways of letting God speak to us anew. And what is that? Even we see here and elsewhere in Paul's letters, he's speaking about what this great tradition is. First of all, the church has preserved the Holy Scriptures themselves, what we call the Bible. We have these writings that have been preserved and what we call canonized, where the, 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 the fathers and the mothers of the church said, this is what we need. These are the words by which God will speak to us. It's preserved the sacrament. You know, Paul was really big on the Lord's table. And it's really neat if you go and, and read some of the earliest church fathers, you know, in the 100s, 200s, 300s, this was ground zero for them. You know, the, the, the Holy Communion, the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's table, whatever you call it, this was the, the main event. And what I'm doing is just kind of the warm-up thing, you know. And, 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 and unfortunately, in Protestantism, we've kind of shifted away from that. And the main event becomes, you know, the big TED Talk or whatever it might be. And we've diminished some of the sacred acts that we've received through the tradition. Um, we've been given the writings of the saints, that all of these men and women who have gone before us have written so much goodness for us to be able to tap into. They've wrestled with the same questions that we have, and we have this opportunity standing in our point in history to kind of lean back and to listen to what they have to say to us in order to encourage us. I think we are incredibly blessed by the access to information we have in our day and age. You know, not even historically, but, you know, around the world right now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that don't even have access to the scriptures, let alone to the, the teachings and the readings that we do. How many of you listen to podcasts from maybe all over the world or, or you, you take books out of our library or, or whatever it might be or the, you know, the incessant quotes that I'm throwing at you every Sunday from all of these old dead people? Like, we are blessed to have all of that to reinforce us. The church tradition has maintained these spiritual practices, giving us paths to walk out our faith. I think about it almost like these training wheels. You know, you can't just say to somebody like, oh, you want to ride a bike? Well, you just get on the bike and you ride it. We need that reinforcement. We think, need things to hold us up and to help us to step into new ways of engaging with God, of opening our hearts to him and being able to connect with one another. And the church has preserved these spiritual practices for us to try in our era to know what it is that we're called to be and to do. So these are kind of three ways that I have found uh, tradition has helped so much in my endeavor, constant endeavor to engage with God and then to hear him speak. Number one, tradition helps us to think generationally. We are plagued with, I know Annie's, Annie's giving me a nod to that one. Um, we are plagued with the desire for instant gratification. And how many of you, when it comes to hearing God speak, you know, you, you, you do the thing, right? You sit down and you, maybe you open your Bible or you pray and go, okay, God, right now, I need it right now. Here's all the things I need in my life. And then we judge God according to how quickly he comes through for us, right? But what we find so often is that the scriptures are challenging us to think bigger, to think generationally. You know, the blessings that Yahweh gives to his people Israel in the Old Testament, that we see the beginnings of the... Of the um, the promises being fulfilled in the new covenant, in the New Testament, are thinking generationally. This is why Paul is even saying in this letter, you are the first fruits. You're the, first, you're the beginning of God's project of rescuing the world. 
But you're not the last, and it's not going to be all summed up just within your brief period in life. And so when we actually give ourselves over to the church tradition, we recognize that we are called into something where we take up the torch from the generation that's come before, and we're passing it down to the next generation. And so we actually, Star Trek, sorry. I couldn't go by saying next generation without acknowledging it. Um, but we recognize, oh my goodness, we're actually part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Our connection to God, our call to be the people of God, to be the church. It's not relegated just city beautiful church in 2019. It's not even called to just being a nominal denominational church in the state of Florida. It's not called to being the you know, Western American evangelical church. It's all of it. We are tapped into this whole thing. And that tradition helps us to think generationally. Secondly, tradition leads us into new territories and draws us out of our self-centeredness. I think, unfortunately, what happens when we feel the onus that we have to create our whole path to get to God is we only design that out of what we already know. This is why I'm very fond of saying, I picked it up somewhere, that most of us don't pray, we just exercise our anxieties out loud, right? We only start with what we're experiencing in the moment. We kind of chuck that up into the heavens and say, well, God, here's some of the things that I'm worried about and here's some of the things that are going on. Okay, well, see you later. And that's, a, that's about the extent of it, you know? And unfortunately, our faith at the beginning can be very self-centered because we're only basing it on what we're feeling and experiencing in the moment. But it's kind of like what I was talking to us about with the Bible last week, that you know, when we have that self-centered approach to the scriptures, we have our agenda, we come in, we open the Bible, we're like, okay, this needs to speak to me right now in the way that I need to hear it. It needs to tell me what I already anticipate that I need to hear. And what happens when you enter into a conversation already expecting that you're going to hear the thing you want to hear? You stop listening, right? I mean, just think about your relationships. When you have that, you, you come in and you're pretending to listen, but you're waiting for the person to say exactly what you've already anticipated they're supposed to say. You're no longer present. You're no longer open. And so just like scripture, we have to come in open-handed and expectant. We have to do the same with the tradition. And what happens when we participate in the great tradition, in the communion of saints, in the liturgical prayers, and even coming to the table or in baptism, is we're actually surprised and delighted by what we discover we enter into new territories that we never thought possible. You know, I try as much as I can every Friday to go down to the Cathedral of St. Luke to kind of continue to tap into my Anglican heritage. And we do this thing called the prayers of the people, which is where you're led from one form of prayer to the next. You pray for the church, and then we pray for our nation, and then we pray for nature. And, and it always leads me into these ways. These, I'm praying for things that I never thought possible. I pray for the president every week and the Congress. I pray for them. I don't pray against them, you know? It took me a minute to recognize, to remember what the name is of our new governor, but I got there. <laughs> and to sit every week and to pray on, for nature, to pray for care of creation. You see, now it's starting to turn these wheels in my mind and my heart to go, what do I, what do I, th like, what do I think? Or even more importantly, what's God's expectation here? And how do I pray into that? And it's a place I would never go if it was only up to me. And so if we don't have that awareness of the tradition that we're being invited into, we only measure God's word by our personal experience of it in the moment and not recognizing that we're part of a larger story. And my third point, tradition grounds us to the truth 
when everything seems to be in constant flux. When we submit ourselves to the great tradition, not only does it take us into new territories, but it brings us home and perhaps actually speaks to us the things that we most desperately need to hear. And I think perhaps this is the great scandal of the great tradition and some of the liturgical practices and the sacred practices that we've been handed. There's been many Fridays when I begin the day foolishly by reading the news. And if you, you know, if you just pull up the news, like everything's going to hell in a handbasket and everybody's terrible and it's awful and the whales are dying and like we can't get anywhere, there's gridlock, every, you know, all of this stuff. And then I step into that liturgical space and none of it is mentioned. Like the, the liturgy almost doesn't care what's happening that day. And it feels so counterintuitive. It almost feels like, it feels really punk rock to me. That's, that's also my heritage. <laughs> to go, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do this thing in the same way that people have been doing it for hundreds of years. And what I found is that it actually speaks back to me, these far deeper and grander truths that ground me so that I can go back out into the chaos of the world. But I'm looking at it through the lens of God and not through my own stuff. And I think that that's so powerful to be able to engage with that. Now, what are the dangers of tradition? Of course, we can be so caught in tradition that it, we actually lose reference points for being present fully in the moment. There's actually this wonderful Buddhist parable about this great spiritual teacher who would come with his disciples and they go into the temple to pray, but there was this cat that lived in the temple and he was always uh, you know, crying and meowing and scratching. And so the spiritual leader tied him to this tree outside of the temple before they went in to pray and then they released him. And every day, this is, the, this is what they ended up doing. They'd go and they tie this cat to the tree and then they'd go in and they pray. And before long, the spiritual leader died um, and so they, you know, the next spiritual leader came in and he just did the same thing. He just continued to tie this cat to the tree because that's what his predecessor did. And then what happened was the cat died. So what did the disciples do? They went and they just bought another cat and they brought it to the temple and they began to tie the cat to the tree. And then hundreds of years later, people were writing these amazing expositions of like the theological implications of tying a cat to, tree, uh, to a tree before you go into prayer. And I think that it's a funny story that, uh, you know, kind of shows us when we can go too far that tradition be can become the object of our desire and not the path. In the same way, the Bible can become the object of desire and not the path that leads us to God. You see, and you're going to notice this in every single way that we talk about how God speaks to us, the, the, the way in which God speaks can become the object itself. And we begin to forget that this is just a path that's leading us to the far deeper truth. Um, the, the local Episcopalian bishop uh, in town and I connect on the regular, and he's a wonderful man, and he's told me this. A lot of times as he's shepherding his priests that are in central Florida, and, and they're so caught up in like, we just, we want to do it all right. We want to get the prayers right, and we want to get the communion right. Like, we just, we just really need to make sure that we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's, and we've got all the smells and the bells. And he says, you know it's about leading people into engagement with Jesus, right? I say, yeah can't we also make sure that we get it right? He says, yes, we can, if it's about leading people into relationship with Jesus. We always have to keep that in mind. And that should be the filter by which any of us pick up any way of engaging with God. Is it leading me to God, or is it actually becoming this, this small object, this idol that I'm holding on to tightly that prevents me from moving forward? So the question is always, what is needed in this moment? 
knowing that you and I were standing on the shoulders of giants, that there are so many that have come before us that are walking this path. There's this other beautiful passage in the book of Hebrews. The whole 10th or 11th chapter of Hebrews is the writer saying, remember these people that have come before you and this is how they lived by faith and this is what they were choosing and and this is what they suffered, but they kept going and they kept striving and they kept trying to be faithful to Yahweh, seeing where he was leading the whole thing. And it's amazing. At the end of that chapter, it says, none of them actually received the promise, but you have. You're the ones, you're the generation that's received this promise that Abraham and Moses and all of these people, all these heroes of the faith coming before you have been looking for. And they kind of continue on in, the, in, in chapter 12 and say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that phrase, cloud of witnesses. Like you are surrounded. And and hear me in this. This is where we have to get a little bit mystical. This doesn't mean, remember these people once upon a time that did these cool things and draw inspiration. That's not what this says. It says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Think about that. Even now, everyone, everyone, all the men and women that have come before us, we are surrounded by them, their stories, their wisdom, their strengths, their failures, their humanness. We're surrounded by that right now. You know, we can go into the weeds about praying to saints and all of that. I don't want want to go there. I also don't want this to be triggering to any of you if that's, you know, maybe a damaging part of your story that some of that's been kind of woven into your theology. But right now, you and I are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that can only be made possible by a God who exists at all points in time and draws all of his truth into this moment available for us to tap into. And I think this is what the tradition does for us, that every question we ask has been asked by those who have come before us. And we are blessed with access to their stories. Every question you've ever asked in your life, every struggle that you've ever had, and every time that the enemy has lied to you and told you that you're alone, and that you're the only one, it's not true. I think that's the beauty of being part of this beautiful tradition, of being part of the capital C church, of recognizing we are part of the communion of saints, that these people that have gone before us are rooting us on, they're cheering for us. Jesus is advocating for us right now at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is advocating for us within ourselves when we don't even know what it is that we should pray. And the saints are rooting for us around the world and throughout time. And if there's a paradox of, you know, innovation and tradition when we're trying to say, what's the path for me to go closer to God, then maybe we also need to recognize there's this paradox of uniqueness and solidarity. You know, many of us, we pursue We care so much about being unique that we have no solidarity. We have no connection to other people. 
And this is when we begin to pity ourselves and our story and we fall prey to those lies of the enemy that tell us that we're alone and we're so unique that nobody's like us and nobody's experienced it like us and we get what we want and we become islands unto ourselves. But when we recognize that we're part of this great tradition, that all these questions that we're wrestling with, all of these revelations we're having have been had before, have been asked before, it begins to recontextualize our experiences right now in our day, in our time. And in a beautiful way, it's to say, you're not special. Sorry. You're not special. You're human. And that's even better. And you're part of the human story. And you're living a human life. And you have human questions. And you have human joys. And you have human pains. And those things bind you to our family, to our race, in a way that all of your desire to be unique and set apart doesn't do. And so tradition calls us back to what is deepest in the human story. But not only that, it calls us back to what is deepest and truest in the divine story, in connecting us back to God, to Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so today we're going to practice that. I've said, you know, this year I want this to be more of a year of not just us talking about things, but actually stepping in and practicing it. It's not just me telling you what God's saying, but actually giving you space to listen to him, to practice that, to see what he has to say to you. And so we're going to do what so many before us have done. And what so many around the world this, this morning, this sacred and blessed holy day are doing which is to come to the Lord's table, the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Communion. Because when we come to the Lord's table, we encounter the stories of our brothers and sisters around the world and throughout time. We are not alone. God is with us and we have each other. And in a moment, we're gonna step into some ancient prayers that have been prayed for a couple thousand years in various forms. And I'm going to invite you to come to the table. And when you come to the table, you're going to encounter the faces and the words of those from history, beginning in the second century, some old African guys, and ending with two uh, very sweet uh, people in the church that have passed uh, just in the past two weeks. Because their story is your story, and your story is theirs. And when you come forward, I don't want you to do it automatically, just a thing that you've been taught to do in the way that I was raised. But I want you to come with this expectation that your God is going to speak to you. Or as that, that beautiful video said, like God wants to show you his love. He doesn't want to just say it. He wants to wrap his arms around you. And that's why we're here. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to read uh, these prayers together. Some of these are 400 years old, some of them go back to the beginning of the church and many of them are referenced from scripture. And again, this is about you giving yourself over to the tradition. You have to trust me and you have to trust the people that put these prayers together that they know what they're talking about, right? And to repeat them as an act of faith. And so I'm gonna lead and you're gonna read the things in, it in italics. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God of all power, ruler of the universe, 
You are worthy of glory and praise. At your command, all things came to be. The vast expanse of interstellar space, galaxies, suns, the planets in their courses, and this fragile earth, our island home. From the primal elements, you brought forth the human race and blessed us with memory, reason, and skill. You made us the rulers of creation, but we turned against you and betrayed your trust, and we turned against one another. Again and again, you called us to return. Through prophets and sages, you revealed your righteous law, and in the fullness of time, you sent your only son, born of a woman, to fulfill your law, to open for us the way of freedom and peace. And therefore, we praise you, joining with the heavenly chorus, with prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all those in every generation who have looked to you in hope, to proclaim with them your glory in their unending hymn, and we read this together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is where we take that cosmic story and we bring it into that one specific night in the last week of Jesus' life. And we allow God to speak to us from that moment in history. And so, Father, we who have been redeemed by him and made a new people by water and the Spirit, now bring before you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, said the blessing, broke the bread and gave it to his friends and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, gave thanks and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Remembering now his work of redemption and offering to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, together we say we celebrate his death and resurrection as we await the day of his coming. Lord God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only, and not for strength, for pardon only, and not for renewal. Let the grace of this holy communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Accept these prayers and praises, Father, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit, your church gives honor, glory, and worship from generation to generation. And all God's people said together. Amen. So I want to invite you to come to the table, take your time, listen to him, see what he has to say to you through history that might make context of your one beautiful, precious life. Let's come to the table.
this has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.